2: Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Wrestlenomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York. Today is Sunday, November 6th, 2022. And today we are joined by the Crown Prince of Wrestlenomics, Chris Gullo, and His Excellency, Jesse Collins. Hello. Thank
3: you, Brandon. Thank you for that great introduction. Yes.
2: It's it's a it's an amazing podcast that 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 you join join us for. It's just such a beautiful world here. I'm, I'm so grateful
3: to be in your presence. I, I, I thank you, Brandon, for your... I thank you, Brandon and Gullo, for your continued support and friendship. Yes. I hope our audience is chanting the name
4: of a talent that's not allowed in our country. That's what I hope. Uh.
2: <laughs> um, so, uh, what, what, what do you want to talk about today?
4: Oh, <laughs>
2: well... I know off the top of my head, as
4: I pull everything up, uh, uh, doing a lot of technical uh, work today uh, before yes. the show. Um, I know we're going to discuss that press conference from Crown Jewel and everything that, that, along with the Crown Jewel event. We're also going to discuss Jeff Jarrett uh, being in an office role in AEW. Um, the Tony Khan cannot comment on that.
2: On uh, what, what? No, it's
4: just... we'll, we'll discuss, yeah, and uh, how Rampage NXT ratings are actually trending. WWE Smackdown on Amazon? Mm Possibly. WWE Stock Price and ELO, and I'm really excited about that because I'm a big ELO fan of the band, but I'm sure you're going to go in another direction with it.
2: Yes, yes. (laughs) Some of these topics are uh, mysteries, I think, but but maybe you already know what they are. Um, But yes, um, but first, I think we do have to acknowledge uh, something else that happened last night. Uh, Update. On the World Series from our correspondent in the Major League Baseball world. How, how is the World Series going? Game six last night. Or are we moving on to game seven tonight? We are not. Well, no.
4: The Phillies lost last night. Uh, Philly Nation is enraged. They say Zach Wheeler was pulled too early. And the bullpen blew it in typical Phillies fashion. But at the end of the day... If you had told me in May that the Phillies be in the World Series, I would have laughed in your face. So uh, overall, I think it was a successful season, and I think we have our manager of the future. So,
2: Congratulations to Dusty Baker. Yeah. No longer the most winningest manager without a World Series victory. Is that correct? That's correct. I, I believe so, yeah. Yes. Bills play the Jets today, 1 p.m. Eastern.
4: Yes, and I'm uh, looking for a Buffalo Bills
2: victory. How did the Jets do
3: last week against the Patriots? Uh, the Patriots won, I think it was 22-17 was the final score. The Jets quarterback situation is really bad, and it's probably going to cost them a playoff spot, ultimately.
2: Bill's playing in New Jersey today. We look forward to studying the attendance. Okay, um, so we'll, uh, we'll talk about the crown jewel Event. But if anybody wants to participate with a super chat today, you're more than welcome to put your comment or question into the super chat and we will acknowledge it as appropriate. Um, but last night was, well, last afternoon, yesterday afternoon was Crown Jewel emanating from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. They also had a press conference the day prior um, where Stephanie McMahon and Triple H Paulovac, now the chief content officer, Paul now the co-CEO, Stephanie McMahon, they had a, a press conference. It's it, it was not exactly what I would think of as a press conference in that, as far as I know, there were no questions from the press. I don't know that there were any non-government press atten- attendees there. Um, but there was a big public display with comments from Triple H, comments from Stephanie McMahon, comments from His Excellency um, Turkey L. Al-Sheikh, who is the chairman of the General Entertainment Authority. Uh, So we we will listen to some audio from that event, which happened on, on Friday. We will listen to that audio now.
1: Beginning with our first event here back in 2018, we have looked forward to returning and putting on massive spectacles viewed by millions around the world and to have the opportunity to showcase this beautiful country. Tomorrow night will be a night to remember at Crown Jewel. WWE would like to sincerely thank the King, the Crown Prince, His Excellency, And all the wonderful teams here in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for their continued partnership and friendship. And now, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, His Excellency...
0: Man. Go to the conference, Prince Mohammed bin Salman. <laughs> Beyond <laughs> imagination. Thank you to the King, the Crown Prince, and His Excellency. For our wonderful partnership here in this kingdom. It's always a privilege for us to be here in Saudi Arabia in front of all of you.
2: Okay. So in the days leading up to this event, among other issues with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia generally, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia told the U.S. that they believe that Iran was imminently planning to attack Saudi Arabia The U.S. Embassy in Riyadh was in contact with WWE, according to Wrestling Inc. The State Department, that's the U.S. State Department, was also in regular contact with WWE, according to PW Insider. The State Department advised that Americans reconsider traveling to Saudi Arabia due to the threat of missile and drone attacks on civilian facilities. Iran publicly denied that they were planning any attack. Uh, Nonetheless, on Friday, we had this presentation that, that not only happened nearby the, the venue where the, the wrestling event was going to happen, but we broadcast this press conference on its social media platforms, YouTube. Notably, I don't think they broadcast it on Twitter for some reason, but they did broadcast it on YouTube and Facebook and other social media platforms. Uh, these platforms that they hype reach so many people broadcasting it around the globe. Uh, Stephanie saying that she would like to sincerely thank the Crown Prince, the King, His Excellency, Turkey Uh, al-Sheikh. I think people were chanting for him in that moment, and he got back on the microphone and said, this is all in hail to the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, which led to an MBS chant, which you just heard. Um, It's as if the luring, murdering, and dismembering of of journalist Jamal Khashoggi uh, never happened, in that we've gone a number of events. This was the 8th, Event That's part of this deal between the WB between WB and the Saudi government. The eighth event, uh, the the first event was more of an, an open promotion of the Saudi government. That is the Greatest Royal Rumble, where they played a video that literally talked about what a progressive leader Mohammed bin Salman is. The second event was was preceded by the luring, murdering and dismembering of Saudi citizen and U.S. resident, Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi, uh, by Saudi agents in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, which led to a lot of controversy. It was a major international news story that happened a month before the second event, Crown Jewel, in 2018, in which you know, p- people around the world and organizations around the world, including WE felt pressured to not openly praise the Saudi government and now we've gone a couple of years since that's happened, and it seems that those stances have softened. We're, we're removed enough in time from that moment that WWE is now comfortable saying the, the name of the country that they're in. That's been the case for the last few events in Saudi Arabia. And now we're seeing more of an open celebration of this partnership between WWE and Saudi Arabia. Uh, No longer do we hear the comments from Stephanie McMahon that she made in 2018 about the quote-unquote heinous act, which was their buzzword for the Khashoggi murder. Uh, So it's almost as if those were just words that they put together as part of a PR crisis management strategy. Um, And if her words were meaningless then, then I I don't know why we should take other words that the executives say as seriously. But... uh, it's notable that there was in, in this press conference chance for Sami Zayn, who has he has been on Saudi Arabia events before this major deal, which started in 2018. But he has not been on any events since. We understand that that's because W does not bring him out of respect to the kingdom. Uh, Sami Zayn is a, is a Syrian Muslim by heritage. His family is. And apparently that's a taboo in in Saudi Arabia uh, MVP. Was yep. not brought along for this event because he's a, a, a former Muslim and turned, a former Muslim who has turned to an atheist, which is punishable by death in Saudi Arabia. Uh, this was explained and reported by by Fightful. Um, in addition to that, the Saudi General Inter- Entertainment Authority, which is basically the, the organization that WB is working directly with, for these events. They shared a video on their social media of a WWE community event that they held earlier in the week. Um, w community, the same organization that promotes things like Be A Star, which is an anti-bullying campaign in a country that uh, does a lot of things that you might consider bullying, uh, <laughs> which would be an understatement. Uh, what's, what's the big deal here, though? What's the big deal about Saudi Arabia and the government? Why does everybody care so much about this, this country? And, and, and their practices and policies and, and laws. Um, for, for one thing, uh, as we mentioned in relation to the Jamal Khashoggi story, they target dissidents, especially Saudi citizens. Um, I, I don't think they care so much about Americans criticizing the Saudi government, but they do care about their, their citizens or people who used to live in the country criticizing their government. Um, the government's specialized criminal court has sentenced people to heavy prison terms for their human rights work. An expression of dissenting views, including on Twitter. Uh, that's according to Amnesty International. The Saudi government has done mass executions, often killing those without a fair trial. Eighty-one men were killed in a mass ex- execution just this past March, according to Human Rights Watch. And there are still limited women's rights related to marriage, divorce, inheritance, child custody. And there's basically no LGBT rights. Same-sex activity is illegal. That's just a brief summary of some of the policies... In the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So, um, but how can you criticize these events and not criticize at the same time? Is, isn't it irrelevant? I, I, I actually didn't didn't want to talk about any of this. Gullah forced me to, uh, and because he's so outraged about this, meanwhile he's silent. His silence is deafening. In fact, when it comes to, hey, what about what about the World Cup in Qatar? What about what about the Olympics? In China, hmm? Um, what what about WWE's own U.S. propaganda every year that they do, at the end of the year, tribute to the troops? Silence from Golo on that, which invalidates all of this criticism that people are levying at the Saudi government. True or false?
4: I think it's the public presentation they do. I think the biggest thing with me is is this is a company that talks about the women's revolution and we're going to put women's wrestling on a pedestal. In a country that has very, very limited women's rights,
2: there was a, a WB women's tag team title change on this event. Yep is isn't that making history? That's progress for women. I yeah, but like they have to, you know, wear the full body suits. Even the
4: referee, I don't know if you noticed, she had the full like sleeve uh, under her referee shirt. But also, they're respecting she, other
2: people's cultures,
4: aren't they? Not allowed the the. I could be wrong in this, but aren't women's matches not on the Saudi Arabia TV? No, oh, they are. oh they, are? they are. Okay, I wasn't sure if they were or not, but but still, I mean, look at you trying ah, to move the goalposts here. I just, <laughs> I that's a big thing for me. And obviously, human rights and LGBT rights. And this is a this is a company that on American soil will say that they support all this, but they're publicly making this look how great this government and this king and this sheik and all this is that support these you know ideals that just are are not for human rights.
2: Jesse thoughts on this.
3: On a Friday, Brandon sent me a, a message and he said compelling, you have content. To watch, compelling you have, content. You have to watch this press conference. Um, and I was like, and I said, Oh man, I don't want to, but I have to. And so I started watching it, and it was um tremendously upsetting. And the issue that I have, I have the issue is twofold that I have with this. I agree with everything Gullo said, the hypocrisy of what we're talking about when we talk about what WWE chooses to promote in America versus also being in bed with Saudi Arabia and how that just means that all of their messaging really, no matter how positive it can be at times is very hollow. And so, um, but what really bothers me about this event, what really bothered me about the press conference, um, it's not even a press conference, uh, 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 PR event is really what it is. Um, was that we have become the Saudi Arabia events have been normalized by people. Um, the way wrestling media covers the Saudi Arabia events, um, as if it's just another regular wrestling show, um, is, is upsetting to me because it's not a regular wrestling show. It is an event Where WWE gets $50 million to go over to Saudi Arabia and promote the kingdom of Saudi Arabia to you, the viewer, to Western audiences. So they can play the press conference. They can play the video like they did in 2018. They can show everyone how great and progressive the country of Saudi Arabia really is. And they are selling you, the audience, the viewer, WWE is selling you to the Saudi Arabian government to view a propaganda show so that you, a Westerner, or you in Europe or Africa or another country in Asia or wherever you're watching this show, have a different view on Saudi Arabia than you might have had beforehand. You'll think more positively about the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia than beforehand. That's WWE selling you, the viewer, your eyeballs, your brain to the Saudi Arabian government. That's the big story of these shows. It's not how good Logan Paul looked. It's not damage control, de- regaining the women's Uh, tag team championship it's not Brock Lesnar beating Bobby Lashley that's not the story and it upsets me that every wrestler seems like every major wrestling review site every major wrestling voice in media just sits there and acts like this is just a regular show and maybe they'll say like yeah it's too bad that it's in Saudi Arabia but how about that Logan Paul that's not the story here And it's the wrestling media's responsibility to talk about what the biggest issue and the biggest stories are coming out of this event. And to me, it's that presser. It's Stephanie McMahon and Michael Cole and Triple H getting up there and talking about how wonderful Saudi Arabia is and how thankful they are for the benevolence of the crown prince and the king of Saudi Arabia and the minister of sport and all the other people that are making this happen and how great friends they are with them. That's the story. It's WWE getting in bed with an autocratic totalitarian government and selling their audience to that government to watch that vi- those videos and to think differently about Saudi Arabia. That's the major story in this event. It's not this whatever pay-per-view WWE decides to produce. It's not whatever's on the card. It's that. And it's around what? This is the eighth event? And it's become so yes. so normalized. Fans don't even think about it anymore. Fans don't even think about the absurdity of of hearing these Sami Zayn chants. When Sami Zayn isn't allowed to perform in that country, basically, because of what his heritage is. And how if that happened in America, how big of a story that would be. But it's become so normalized for viewers to just view this as a regular wwe show it's the justice this, this it's just like extreme rules it's just like uh you know SummerSlam. it's just like any other show but it's not it's so bizarre and it's so strange and it needs to be that's what needs to be talked about with these shows it's not what's on the card it's not what ha- who wins each match it's the fact that wwe is selling you they're selling you, the viewer, without the viewers, without the Western audience watching these events. The, it means nothing to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. That's what this is about. It's about selling the country to other people outside of the country. And it's, and that's what Saudi Arabia wants. That's yes, exactly. and it's become now it's become accepted and normalized. It's just another wrestling show. And I blame a lot of the voices in wrestling media: Dave Meltzer, Sean Rossap, all those people who just look at this show like it's a regular ass show. Now and it's not. And, I, and it just everything is just glossed over uh, to a degree. They might throw in one line here or there. Oh, you know, it's terrible. It's in Saudi Arabia. I was listening to the Fight Game media podcast. Um, Garrett Gonzalez was interviewing a couple guys, I think, associated with a the ringer. They used to work for Bleacher Report. And they're like, yeah, I wish it wasn't in Saudi Arabia. But uh, I like having the shows on in the middle of the day. It makes it more convenient for me. And it's like, come on, man. This isn't, this isn't like a regular wrestling show. yeah. And that needs to be talked about. And it's it, it it it's greatly upsetting to me. I'm very disappointed in the way that this event has been covered, and the way that now it seems like wrestling fans treat this event um, instead of the bizarre spectacle of um, fan disillusionment that that what it really is. I I had a
4: conversation on a car yesterday with a friend of mine. Where does it stop? Like, did does Saudi Arabia like 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 look how great it's done for Saudi Arabia? Do other totalitarian countries say, hey? Maybe we should bring WWE in. What stops Kim Jong Un from wanting WWE in North Korea?
2: Like, so I, I would like to raise some of the responses that I hear in in response to things that I've pointed out about you know about this press conference. So, how can you be critical about this when you're not critical about about F one? And about F1, which does the Grand Prix every year, I believe every year, at least they did this past March, while there were oil fields that were on fire because of bombings from the, the Houthi rebels. F1 does a race in Saudi Arabia. Live Golf is funded by Saudi Arabia, as, as, which is going to be a competitor to the PGA. Um, how can you be critical about those about, about this, but not about those things, and not about the World Cup in Qatar, not about the Olympics in China, not about, you, you know, arguably the, the U.S. propaganda associated with treaties of the troops. Um, and I think we can chew, walk and chew gum at the same time. And as it concerns golf and F1. I've been critical soccer, of those things. We're not, if, if we were um, covering those sports, perhaps we would cover those more, more in depth. Um, the, the, someone raised to me that, you know, as I was pointing out the, the financial partnership here, $50 million per event, twice a year, $100 million a year, it's a 10-year deal, a billion dollars over 10 years. Um, $50 million a year is three times a typical WrestleMania live gate. And someone asked, well, is, is this a good deal for the Saudis then? They think they're making it all back on ticket sales? No, they're certainly not making it all back on ticket sales. Uh, that is not the point. I'm sure they're selling tickets or they're trying to generate some revenue to offset some of the cost here. But that is not what they're buying. That is, that is a very, 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 very small part of what they're buying. The bulk of what they're buying here is a public spectacle, a sports event that shows to people around the world uh, a, nor- a normal-seeming event from a normal-seeming country, which re- brings me to another response that I hear. is like, what's the big deal? I mean, I watch these events, and I see – it looks like people are having a good time. It looks like the kids are having a good time and and, and there's fans. Why shouldn't, why shouldn't WWE bring an event to these wonderful fans, these ordinary citizens in, in Saudi Arabia? How dare you
4: criticize that? Especially over the years, too. I remember the first events in 2018, like the greatest Royal Rumble. There wasn't a lot of like regular people in t-shirts and everything in the crowd it was a lot of the dignitaries and all that in the front they're not paying attention and now it looks After like and stuff. yeah it looks like a WWE audience that you would see in spokane washington like just fans with signs and all excited like but what i really, want to say is, yeah. is,
2: is is now it, it it perhaps it looks more like a normal wrestling event than yeah. than it did before at, in, in the first event um and and that is exactly the point that is yeah. exactly the product that the Saudi government wants and benefits from. It wants to it, – it, it knows that, hey, look, we, we have a pretty strong economy here in that we have Saudi Aramco that, that is a government-owned company that is one of the biggest companies in the world. And But what we, what we don't have is a good image around the world. We are viewed around the world as one of the worst human rights violators in the world, which they are. And to try to offset that and to try to improve the image of the Saudi government, they are participating in what some might call sports washing. And that that comes in the form of Live Golf, in the form of Formula One, in the form of WWE. Uh, That's what's happening here. And, And the degree to which wrestling fans don't care about that, aren't aware of that, that is exactly the condition that the Saudi government and to an extent WWE benefits from. Because that's the product that WB is selling to the government. That is the product that the government wants. It wants an improvement to its image so that it can continue to do effective business around the world and in its country so that it, it can continue to not face scrutiny, scrutiny uh, for its various human rights violations that are ongoing.
3: Yeah, I got a lot of stuff on social media about like, oh, how come you don't comment on this? How come you don't comment on that? It's like, well, can you walk and chew gum at the same time? Well, it's also like my if you go on my Twitter, like I I'm pretty passionate about like on my Twitter, I only tweet about wrestling. I really don't tweet about any of my other interests at all. Um, so if people are just following me on Twitter or they're seeing me on on this podcast and the other podcasts I do in wrestling, like they're not going to get like my, all of my opinions about everything in the world. Um, I've been writing about the, the, you know, Qatar world cup and the issues with that since 2014. Um, but so it's always funny to me. It's like, well, how come we don't talk about every other human rights violation that's going on in the world? And it's like, well, like when I see them, I, I do tend to talk about them. Um, but you know, it's one of those things someone told me, it's like, Oh, well, every company is in bed with Saudi Arabia to an extent. You, you, if you do And that this, makes it okay. You, yeah, you do this. Well, it's more like it's this concept where if you were to live your life um, totally independent of any uh, pol- politicians or governments that you disagreed with, if you were to live your life entirely without getting doing anything at all, could be associated, not, not using a product that's made in a certain country, not driving your car where the oil might come from a certain country – if you were to do that, it'd be almost impossible to live your life without being like an entirely like off the grid person living in the woods by yourself. Um, So like, obviously that's infeasible for most people to do. So it's, to me, it's totally null and void. Then like, if you don't like the Saudi Arabia show, you don't watch it or you don't talk about uh, how excited you are for it. Um, Like it's such a, These these obnoxious what-about-isms are just a sign of how normalized it has been, and you're getting these responses from the hardcore WWE fans who, through their defense of WWE, are now, in turn, defending the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia on social media and on other platforms, um, which is beneficial to Saudi Arabia. They don't have to pay for bots on Twitter. To, to be doing uh, the promoting of Saudi Arabia for them. They've got WWE fans now who are quick to tell people that everything's cool in Saudi Arabia and they're not doing anything different than other countries are because I got a lot of those tweets this past week.
2: And, and it would be somewhat different if WWE was going there to do a show where WWE was just selling the tickets and trying to make money based on ticket sales, which you could say they, they do often in, in countries that have problematic policies. But that's not what this is. Again, this is a $50 million event each and every time that they go there, which is three times a WrestleMania. It's like three WrestleManias in one day in terms of the money that they're making here. Uh, You can take all of the WrestleManias that have ever happened, all 38 of them, take all the tickets, every single ticket that's ever been sold for WrestleMania, adjust it for inflation, and you have about a quarter of a billion dollars, one quarter of a billion dollars. For just eight of these events, we've got already $400 million. It will be $1 billion by the time this is over. And that's another aspect of this is that this deal is so long. It is 10 years. And I, as I'm putting together the notes for this show, I'm thinking, you know, we're only like four years into this. This is not even half over. And that's part of the effectiveness of this deal is that it's it, – and we're going to talk about this, you know, twice a year. And maybe, maybe others won't or whatever. But sorry, we're going to talk about this twice a year in that – it's so long; it it just that's sort of the numbing effect and the the, the sensitivity of it It desensitizes you to to this. It's
3: just stuff. another show. You know, it's do it? yeah. it's one of the two shows that, that they do every year, and it's um it's one of those things where it's like um it's pretty easy to me. They're pretty easy to ignore. I mean, they're on in the middle of the day. I am usually doing something else. Um, I do think like when it comes to like how the the, the difference to me between This show and a lot of the other shows that WWE does, or a lot of the other things you could say other organizations might do, is the the really outward glamorization of Saudi Arabia and specifically the Saudi Arabian government. I don't think they would ever talk about the U.S. government the way they talk about the Saudi government in that presser. WWE certainly wouldn't um and if they did it would be extremely controversial within the United States
2: i mean is is that uh, i could hear someone arguing is that what tribute to the troops is which they've done for years and years
3: right and there's definitely some criticism that should be levied at tribute to the troops but even tribute to the troops stays you know maybe 20 years ago when they were actually going to iraq um to have the events you could say it would be a little bit different um but now, like tribute to the troops, I think is, and I haven't watched tribute to the tr- troops in years, so I might be wrong. But tribute to the troops is very much a celebration of kind of like the individual soldier, and not necessarily a celebration of the United States government and the presidents and all the people who are in charge of the country or, or royal a particular families. military operation, right? Um, and so, to me, it's you know. Titus O'Neill told me that WWE doesn't do politics. He said that WWE, you know, it's a safe space, no politics here. And then, flash forward a few months, and they're giving a WWE championship belt in a press conference to a uh, Saudi politician and leading a chant for the ruler of Saudi Arabia.
4: And, and this is the same weekend that those championship belts were, all, were also handed to the Houston Astros. Like it just shows, like the <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> putting on the same. Level. I mean, there, there's a reason why the WWE title has become in recent years, a giant W logo, because they know that they have, that, that people will, will take W title belts and hold them up after winning the World Series or after winning the Super Bowl or whatever. And I think they've realized that rather than making it like a, a giant eagle and globe, it should be a W logo because that that gives us brand presence. And mm-hmm. that same thing is being applied to, to uh, the chairman of the General Sports Authority in Saudi Arabia holding this title belt up. To say, look, this is this is how great WB is, and they're associated with this thing. Okay, moving on. Two, J E, double F, J A, double R E double T. Jeff Jarrett is all elite. Uh, Jeff Jarrett made his debut on AW Dynamite on Wednesday night, cutting a promo. Uh, he is not just on on with WB as a talent. Oh no, we learned from a tweet later that night that uh, according to Tony Khan. Double J is now, I believe he is the uh, Director of Business Development. So he has an office job with WWE as well. He uh, recently had a job with WWE as Vice President of Live Events. So uh, Double J, uh, he did did a promo uh, on the opening of Dynamite. And I think the promo was pretty good on its own. The response to this was some pretty heavy boos. Some responses that I've seen online, though, is that this associates AEW with someone who's very much associated with impact wrestling, or should I say maybe total nonstop action wrestling, which has an association to me of being, for for 20 years, a company that tried to be a strong alternative, tried to be a strong number two U.S. company, but failed to do so. And in my opinion, associating yourself, at least on screen, as I said on Thursday, I don't have as great of a sense of what Jeff Jarrett does or doesn't provide as an office worker helping AEW helping with live events. But associating yourself with him on screen and to, and to some extent behind the scenes associates AEW, which is trying to become a strong number two wrestling brand in the United States, associates it with the stigma that I take for granted really exists around TNA wrestling, Impact Wrestling, and Jeff Jarrett.
3: Yeah, I mean, when Jarrett showed up, one of the things someone who I talk about wrestling with regularly told me, said, they just said, you know, hey W, it's just basically TNA with a little bit of New Japan mixed in, which is something that I would disagree with, but it does create the impression that AEW is TNA with Jarrett, and you could leverage the value that Jarrett might bring as an on-screen performer or the value that he might bring as a backstage experience presence Mm -hmm. is negated by the image of AEW as a second-rate promotion that could never really challenge WWE. It should be dismissed as a true competitor to WWE um, because Jarrett is so heavily associated not only with Impact, but also things like the global force wrestling, the the dying days of WCW. His, for a guy who's consistently won in his career and Jeff Jarrett keeps winning is, is a bit of a meme and it's only continued this week. But for someone like that, he's been associated with a lot of failures and a lot of perceived failures in re- the wrestling business. I, was, I saw him and I was like, man, I do not need to see Jeff Jarrett on my television screen. I just don't. Now, some people will insist that he's still an excellent performer, that he was very good in the Ric Flair's last match and the build-up to that. And if he's going to be doing something similar in a storyline with Sting, it might come across as good. I'm willing to at least give it some time before I pass final judgment on that. Um, But to me, it's one of the exciting things about AEW to me has been it is a wholly new company company with new people running things, people who haven't been working in the wrestling industry forever and ever. And obviously you need some of those people to help out. But for me, at least, like it's like one of the exciting things about AEW is that Tony Khan is the booker. It's not, you know, Dave Lagana. It's not Vince Russo. It's not Eric Bischoff. It's not all these people that, you know, TNA would bring out to try to recapture some old faded magic or things like that. It's a new creative, enterprise and a lot of the people backstage whether it's Christopher Daniels um or Jerry Lynn it's like these new kind of people that haven't been backstage running wrestling for years and years. Jarrett to me is just he yes he brings experience maybe he brings a lot of value I can't comment on that but he is just another guy who's just been backstage in wrestling for for decades. And it feels like kind of AEW almost going backwards instead of being a progressive company that's giving new minds an opportunity to step up to the plate and provide provide a a new look for professional wrestling in general.
4: Um, So to touch on, on what you're saying, Jesse, as far as the backstage and in the office, you know, we don't really know the true value he can add. But, you know, maybe there is something to be said that maybe there needs to be more structure in AEW and maybe he brings his experience for that. There can be arguments made for that. My big thing is is that your goodwill with fans has been decreasing by the time, and AEW fans love to talk about Twitter about where's this guy? Why hasn't this guy been on TV? Why is this guy been on Dynamite? And now you're bringing Jeff Jarrett into an in-ring role where he's clearly going to compete, taking away a spot from a guy like Ricky Starks that people want to see on their television, or Powerhouse Obs, that guys that are – I've been in the company now for three well, years. Well, are more
2: on rampage, it's worth mentioning, yeah. but yes.
4: But guy, like people thought that like even Darby, like, yeah, Darby's in a single, but Darby and people like that would be in higher spots by now, three years in. I mean, look at the pillars. MJF's the only pillar that's I mean, I guess Sammy, that's really in a main event spot.
3: Are the other ones worthy of being in main event spots?
4: I
2: I, I would add that
4: there's I would say Darby and uh, yeah, Darby can go.
2: Yeah. Well the long lines of what Jesse was saying a minute ago, yeah. I think I think Wrestling in general has had a problem which AEW has, part of the reason I believe that AEW has been able to be successful and has been able to, it's not why they're on TV, but why they've been able to become, why they've been able to, to further, to, to build a fan base more so than they would have otherwise is because the person who's running AEW has no prior experience in wrestling in a good way. AEW has separated. I I think the, the incumbent power in, in the pro wrestling business is creatively, like strategically, intellectually corrupt. And it has learned a lot of bad habits that it accepts are good habits. And the good thing about AEW is that it has up to this point, been able to mostly divorce itself from those bad habits and bad ideas. Um, and someone like Jeff Jarrett, I see, is very much associated with that group of incumbents to the wrestling power structure who have, to their own benefit, kept other wrestling brands, NW itself, from being more popular than it would be otherwise. Um, so we had these comments, though, in Sports Illustrated this past week in an interview that Sports Illustrated did with Tony Khan. Um, who, who would like to be Justin Barrasso and who would like to be Tony Khan?
3: I'll be Justin Barrasso okay. due to let's my Massachusetts yeah.
2: Would you like to be Tony Khan? I mean, I got the high energy subpart,
3: so yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's see Tony Khan. The hiring of Jeff Jarrett is significant for AEW. His new position as director of business development will have a focus on live events. Does that mean that we'll see an emphasis on AEW live events in 2023?
4: Yes. It makes a lot of sense for AEW to expand our live calendar in 2023 and beyond. There are many places in the U.S. and all over the world where AEW is very popular, and this is a strategic opportunity to expand. We also have Ring of Honor. There are a lot of exciting possibilities for us in live events, and Jeff has such extensive experience as a third-generation businessman in pro wrestling. He's got tremendous experience in a number of fields, including live event promotions and international distribution. His insight and knowledge are very valuable and I'm excited to have Jeff join our great team.
2: Yes. Is AW going to run house
4: shows? Is that what this means? I brought up the baseball stadium idea. I that's Jeff's baby. And that was probably the best live event run of
2: TNA is those baseball stadiums. I could see oh, okay. that happening in the spring summer. Up to this point, AEW – it's questionable to even call them house shows. AEW has run one or two shows that have not been already distributed on some form of media. But, but, but those are shows uh, – they, they did one I think around a, a WrestleMania time where they did like an extra event in, in Jacksonville when they were already doing TV tapings. But anyway, it's, it's an event that Tony Khan has talked about as being an event that he could put on a streaming service because they haven't – nobody's been able to see it other than the people that were live in attendance that day. Um, the wrestling business – in the last, I don't know, 10 years, and exceedingly so as we get further, you know, closer to the present, has become less and less of a live event business, which it was in the 80s and 90s, and before that, certainly, has become less and less of a live event business, and become, has become more and more of a media business. When I say media, think video. Every th- why, why would you put on an event which is becoming increasingly expensive to produce if you're not doing it while producing some form of media? And it's a question whether or not those those events can be profitable. Uh, things that have happened that support this notion that I'm raising here are that it hasn't been the case since since the return to touring, since WWE went back on tour, since the pandemic. But in the last couple of years, before the pandemic, WWE struggled to make its live events division profitable, probably because house shows were not profitable. At least many of them were not. Um, AEW has not run house shows, probably primarily due to that reason, because it's very difficult to make money, to, to not lose money while running house shows. How is it that, if this is even the case, which nobody's confirming here, but how, is, how would it be the case that AEW, and at a time when, by the way, their attendances seem to be on the decline, how is it that AEW would be able to run house show tours that are actually beneficial to its business? Unless we're here to, to make some argument that, well, even if they lose a little bit of money on house shows, maybe there's still some positive gain, so, some positive economic value in being able to run these shows that serve as a marketing campaign for the product in that town. That you're able to sell some merchandise at, that you're able to give people experience at, which sort of comes with also a risk that, the, that those talent are going to get injured while they're having these extra matches. But I'm, I'm not convinced that. If this happens, that this is a good idea for a- for AEW to run more house shows, or to run any house shows.
3: Yeah, I'm sure. Like Tony's Tony's not going to run house shows. If he feels like they're just going to lose money and they're not worth it because he hasn't done that yet so far. Um, I'd be interesting. Like people seem to think he's talking about house shows, but why would if I'm AEW and I'm going to be run? Say I wanted to run some house shows, why wouldn't I just tape them and run them somewhere? Why wouldn't I just be like, it's going to be a live edition of AEW Dark and we're going to run at a 1,000 seat venue in some city somewhere and it's not going to maybe feature top stars. It's maybe going to be more focused on the younger wrestlers or people who need more ring time working in front of an audience. And why wouldn't you record that and toss it up on YouTube? If you're already going through the expense of uh, of producing the show, basically, why not just have a few cameras there and an announce team even remotely doing it it doesn't have to be nearly as uh have nearly as high production values as, as something like a dynamite or rampage but why not just record it and show it somewhere and just increase the amount of content that you're producing each week um I, I would kind of be surprised if they were just to do house shows that you never see um for that reason alone it's just too valuable to record stuff now and you'll get some people watching it for sure um so I could see something like a revamped version of Darker, Dark Elevation, where they are on the road taping things, as opposed to doing everything from from the the, the uh when they're in Orlando, right? They're at the old right. Impact. R-
2: rather than yeah. doing these long sessions in a studio, maybe they tour that.
3: Yeah, like I just I don't if they're gonna do more events, they're gonna produce more live events. Um, I I don't see it as just being like it's AEW house show and, and the way WWE does house shows, which is taking their top talent and putting on like pay-per-view level matches in the main event to sell tickets. Um, but instead doing something where you're, you're, you're working a lot of your younger wrestlers and getting them more ring time in front of an audience. And you could have, you could have people that are reasonably popular. Like you could have Jade Cargill, you could toss, maybe have per one show, have a top star, like a John Moxley or MJF or hangman page kind of maybe in the top spot. But I wouldn't see it necessarily as being something that it just totally house shows that you'll never see again the way the WWE does. doesn't seem to to make sense to do them like that. To
2: go from one town, travel to
3: another town,
2: what's more likely is what you see oftentimes with the pay-per-view weekends that are joined with a rampage the day prior or two days prior or even – which they've done in Chicago, for example. A dynamite in Chicago, a rampage in Chicago, then pay-per-view in Chicago. The more that you can – not have to load in and load out and travel to to another location in the United States or wherever. Uh, the more you can sort of apply the same expenses to to more content. Um, so anyway, we have another excerpt from this interview from Sports Illustrated about Cole Cabana, CM Punk, the Elite, and so forth. Would you guys like to like to act this out as well?
3: Sure. On the subject of Wednesday's Dynamite, you brought back a former Ring of Honor champion in Cole Cabana to challenge Chris Jericho for the ROH title. Cabana was tag champs with CM Punk. There is speculation that Cabana's on-screen return is a sign that Punk won't be back in AEW. Is there truth to that, or was that match centered solely on the Jericho ROH storyline?
4: Chris Jericho has been wrestling a number of former Ring of Honor champions, competing against a number of Ring of Honor's greatest stars like Claudio Casagnoli, Brian Danielson, Dalton Castle, Bandito, and now Cole Cabana. It's been an exciting series of matches against some great wrestlers who have legendary histories in Ring of Honor, and we're seeing the Ring of Honor
3: stars trying to stop Jericho from desecrating that title. Since we mentioned Punk, Kenny Omega and Young Bucks have appeared in a video package and on social media. Considering their images have been on TV and AEW social media, are those three close to returning to AEW programming?
2: I cannot comment on that. Chris Cole cannot comment on that. I mean, Tony Khan.
3: I um, do like that. Justin brings up CM Punk. Yes. Uh, Tony says nothing about CM Punk in his answer. And then Justin goes, since we were talking about CM Punk, instead of just saying, since I asked you about CM Punk, he makes, I like the way he asked the question.
2: Do you, do you think this interview was done like on the phone voice to voice, or is this just like emails back and forth or, or messages back and forth in
3: text? I, I don't know. When I see Justin on Wednesday, I can, I can ask him. So, it's it, it's
2: another opportunity for AEW that is Tony Khan to confirm whether or not they e- we're we're now more than two months removed from all out where reportedly a fight happened after the presser where a, a, which which resulted in reportedly an investigation happening that reportedly resulted was related to the suspensions of CM Punk of Kenny Omega Matt Jackson Nick Jackson a number of others uh, but we only know that because. That's been reported by sources like the Wrestling Observer and Fightful. We don't know that because AEW has ever confirmed it. Uh, AEW has, Tony Khan went on television on the following Dynamite after All Out in September and just announced that, that the AEW World title was vacant and the AEW and the Six Man titles were vacant. Both of those titles were won by CM Punk and The Elite, respectively, on the, the prior Sunday. Their names were not mentioned. It was not explained to the audience that they are suspended why they were stripped of their titles. Uh, You would know that if you've read the wrestling news, though, which a lot of people do, I'm sure, but not everybody does. Even if you do read the the wrestling news, I think it's passing up on, on an opportunity to be forthright with your audience in the face of bad news, taking it head on. And I'm not saying that you have to go into any detail about what the investigation is about or what your feelings are about it. But to at least say that, look, there was an incident after All Out that we take very seriously. We're investigating what's happening, and unfortunately, we have to suspend at least Punk and, 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 and the Elite. Those titles are vacant, um, and we're, we're going to try to come to a resolution here. But we've not even got that. It, it, it risks and probably has already to some extent damaged the trust relationship between AEW and its fans. I would say that that's supported by what I've heard being there live hearing Tony Khan get booed when he used to be universally cheered. Um it's it's just it, it's sort of running from the story rather than taking it head on, which is possible to do. I strongly believe it's possible to do without opening yourself up to legal problems.
3: Yeah, like to me I think we're in an interesting position where I really I really don't believe that there are in any significant number, fans who are regular AEW viewers who are very, very confused about what happened to the world title and what happened to the trios title. I find that hard to believe. Um, at the But at the same time, you do risk, like you said, alienating your relationship with fans. And really, if you were to just view this in a vacuum where you had your world champion and your six-man t- champions just lose the title without any explanation whatsoever it would be a completely terrible business idea and completely absurd to even suggest that's how you would choose to rationalize and explain it. However, in the wrestling world in 2022, with all the information that's been put out there um, and how active everyone is and how everyone's online now, pretty much everyone already knows. So There's not this big wave of confusion that we're getting from from the fan base that would have happened in prior generations. It would be very interesting to see they're clearly doing some sort of angle where the elite are coming back for their titles. And they've teased that on dynamite the last two weeks. And so it will be very interesting to see like what kind of promo they cut and how they explain why they came back. Are they just going to come back and be like, we never really lost those titles. So those titles are ours without saying anything else. Or will they cut a promo about how they were suspended and stripped of the titles and perhaps even mention CM Punk. I think that'll be really interesting to see what kind of route they go in uh, in, and try to how to explain that once the elite are back on television, which seems to be coming any day now.
2: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar. Uh, I, I would like to touch on some TV ratings trends, uh, just because I hear a lot of talk about at least these two shows, Rampage and NXT, and about what really the trends are for these programs. Is is not, is, is Rampage continuing to fall through the floor? Is is NXT really? that cold in its TV ratings. Well, we'll look at the averages for the last several months. And really, this is what we're looking at here on the screen for people watching on YouTube is the entire history of AEW Rampage in the demo 1849. Um, And Rampage has fallen. It's it's basically the same story since June. And if you'll notice here on this chart, we have January, February, March, April, no May, because I've excluded preemptions here. The the viewership is much lower in May for the average, but I've excluded preemptions here to to not mess up the, the... a fair look at the trends. But what happened after the preemptions, and maybe some habitual viewership was lost in, in that month of preemptions. In any case, about 180 is the average for viewership here for uh, in the months of June, July, August, September, and October. Got as high as 200,000 in September. But it's basically flat after those series of preemptions. And it certainly was higher before the preemptions, and of course, was much higher in the first couple months of rampage um nxt i've heard that nobody wants to watch nxt it's a terrible show uh it may or may not be a terrible show but there there is a trend here maybe not so much in october but from may forward may june july august september uh i guess with the exception of july there every month throughout the summer was higher in 1849 viewership than the month prior uh october was one hundred ninety thousand viewers compared to two hundred thousand in september so a little bit down uh in any case there, there is a trend here at least in the demo showing that there's been an improvement to nxt's viewership which doesn't exactly coincide with the end of vince right the end of vince is in late july although in august viewership was higher and in september viewership was still higher uh but that that increase started way back in may after getting to a pretty low point in may uh but there's that i don't know if you guys have any, any anything to add to that
3: the Rampage numbers are more consistent than I thought mm. as far as since June. They're pretty much stabilized at a certain level. They're not necessarily plunging downward any further. I do think the, pre- the note that in May, when for the because of the NBA playoffs, they were preempted and moved all around the schedule, um, that did take some people out of it watching on a regular basis. And they haven't had to come back because Rampage has been presented as a B-show. Tony Khan insisted that it was not going to be a B-show when it first started. It was not presented as a B-show, but over time, it has decisively become the B-show where the most important stuff happens on Dynamite and you can easily skip Rampage and not feel like you really missed anything major, Um, which again is also problematic because the time slot is in peak skipping time for the 18 to 49 average. You're 10 o'clock on a Friday night. A lot of those people are going to be out doing stuff. A lot of those people are going to be hanging out with friends. Um, even if they're not going out, they might be inside playing video games or socializing with friends digitally just because it's a Friday night. and That's what you do. Um, so AW really couldn't afford to kind of, let fans believe that Rampage is a B-show. And that unfortunately has happened. And that's why I think ultimately the issue is with Rampage. I don't think that the show is bad. I don't think that the show um, is way, way worse than Dynamite. But the image of it has become that it is a B-show. And fans are not going to tune into a B-show at 10 o'clock on Friday night.
2: It does have very high DVR viewership. I haven't seen DVR viewership in about a year. But when I did which I got like a year of DVR viewership up to that point. It is the most DVR-watched show, which makes sense given how late it is. But in any case, the the live same-day viewership uh, is down a lot. I guess, I, I, yes, there is this month of preemptions here in May. Uh, if you look at everything before May, it's in the 250 to 300 range. Afterward, it's barely at 200. I don't think that's all because of the preemption month. But I, but some of it is, I think. But but a lot of it I think is just the the degree to which the show has cooled off as as becoming a prominent show. Lack of, well, of talent available at
3: times. It's twofold. It's the, this if we want to talk about the presumption as like kind of like an obvious difference point, it's the preemption gets people out of the routine of watching and then the show's not really good enough to compel them to jump back in. And once you get out of that routine, it's like, oh, I kind of like having my Friday nights wide open. Uh, this happened, we see this with Raw every year, right? They, they've lost viewers over the Monday Night Football season, and they some struggle to get those fans back when Monday Night Football wraps up, because the fans have grown accustomed to not watching wrestling on Monday nights. And then they're like, oh, if the show's not really that compelling, I'm not going to go back and watch. And Rampage has kind of hit, I think, a similar point in that May period when they were bouncing all around and... People found out that they didn't really have to tune in on Fridays anymore. And the show hasn't been compelling enough to watch. I, I never watch Rampage Live. Um, mm-hmm. I um, typically out on Friday nights like a lot of people. And um, I, I tend to watch the West Coast feed. I watch the West Coast feed on on Friday night because I got home. I was out. I got home. Uh, I was able to stay up until 1 a.m. for when the West Coast feed starts. And I watch the Orange did you get the feed. West Coast feed? How do you get the yeah, West so Coast I w- feed? So I watch on um, my computer. So I don't have cable, uh, but I do have my parents' cable login. Like this is how many people in their 20s live. Um, And so I typically watch when you watch on like the the TNT website, you can pick whether you want to watch the East Coast Mm -hmm. feed or the West Coast feed. On Roku,
4: it's like that too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's like that on on the apps. So for me, I'm getting home. I got home like on Saturday at like midnight. Took a shower and I was like, all right, Shibata versus Cassie. I, I don't have to find the YouTube clip. I don't have to torrent it or find anything like that. I'll just pop on TNT, go on TNT.com and watch the West Coast feed. Um, and that's how I watch Rampage most of the time. If I'm watching Rampage live, if you count that as live. Um, and I'm sure a lot of other people are doing that. Do the live, like the actual
4: live Rampages like they had on Friday night, do those? And I know there's not a ton, but do those perform significantly better than the average rampage rating does sorry does what perform better like than the, the actual live rampage is like when they have them live like they did no. last night I, no chrisco i know you're a proponent of this idea i don't buy okay it, no that's not where i was going okay i was going with crowd burnout i feel like when i watch a show
2: i want that i've been in you know a couple rampage they, and i feel like hey the crowd here, here's burnout. a dirty secret they sweeten the crowds for rampage yeah for tv I couple of language, We were at a couple of Rampage yeah, tapings in, Ro- in Rochester yeah. and Buffalo. Some of the crowd left. The crowd was very tired. Yeah. Uh, but they sweeten those crowds.
4: I mean, you could sweeten it all day. Body language and mannerisms and all that tell a tale, too. And uh, yeah, because, I mean, you see six to eight dark elevation matches. Then you get two hours of dynamite. Then you have Rampage past 10 o'clock at night on a taping. And it's, it's a crowd burnout. And I don't think that translates well on TV. Whether you no, sweeten yeah. out the sound or not.
3: I will I will be at Rampage taping on Wednesday. I can yeah, report yes. report back to you uh, on what the difference is between the live uh, and the uh, the taping. But yeah, I, there's definitely crowd sweetening going on, I'm sure. I don't know that that's happening for Dynamo. That's,
2: I'm pretty certain that's happening for Rampage. Um, some speculation now that maybe... Um, one of my impressions coming away from the uh, the... W earnings call that happened on Wednesday evening which which I talked about with John Pollock on Thursday which which is in your WrestleNomics radio and post wrestling podcast feed. What, what one of my my takeaways is that I think there's a good chance, a really good chance that WWE is perhaps going I mean is is going to at least use Amazon, the notion that they could go to Amazon Prime Video with an all-likelihood Smackdown to help them leverage a better deal for the US TV rights, which is coming up probably going to be finalized in the middle point of, of next year. I would speculate the spring. So on the earnings call, Nick Khan expressed a lot of optimism about the NFL's relationship with Amazon. Um, It's almost as if he's been listening to wrestling echoing things that have been said on this program or, uh, or maybe we're just ahead of it um, that, Thursday night football has done pretty well in terms of viewership. If you look at the viewership, the total viewership on a given week of NFL games that are broadcast nationally, you know, the the Sunday afternoon blocks do very well. Sunday night football leads. Uh, Amazon Prime video games on Thursday night don't do as well in, in total viewership. They're at the bottom among the, the games that are broadcast nationally. However, if you look at the demos, you look at 18 to 49, you look at 18 to 34. Well, they're still behind the rest of those games, but it's a much closer gap. It's not its not as big of a lead that the other games have over Amazon. Because as you would expect, streaming is being consumed uh, more so by younger people. Linear traditional TV is being consumed more so by older people. So it, it seems to me that the success, at least of the NFL, Thursday Night Football, on Amazon Prime Video, is more assuring that if you take... One of your products, especially if you've got another product like Raw that's staying on cable, perhaps staying with the USA Network, which would be my prediction. You're on cable still with the 80 million or so homes that, that the USA Network reaches, and you're going to perhaps put SmackDown on prime video that you won't be left in obscurity and that maybe you'll even be reaching a a wider audience than if you had two shows, let's say on the USA network. I don't want to put Fox in that conversation because Fox reaches a a really large collection of homes, right? Because it is a broadcast, uh, network. Um, but I, I, I think what's going to happen is, is W will have probably exclusive negotiating windows with NBC universal and with Fox. Um, unless Fox makes them a really, really great offer, I would think that W will shop it around. And Amazon can certainly afford to spend big on content. And I think there's understanding in in these negotiations that yes, Amazon prime video can't provide you with the strong reach that Fox or the USA network can right now. Amazon will pay you more than they would otherwise. If if all, if, if, reach was equal across the board, you know, uh, Amazon wouldn't pay as much, but because reach is not equal, and reach is some of the value that the wrestling company is getting, we'll pay you even more to offset the lack of reach that we're able to provide you, at least in the short term. Um, and even if SmackDown doesn't end up on streaming or on Prime Video, the, the notion that they might go there and that it's viable for SmackDown to live there, which I'm saying that it is. The notion that that's a possibility and that's a viable possibility for WWE should only leverage, should, should pressure NBCU or Fox to give WWE a better deal than they would otherwise because there's another real viable home for WWE content that is going to pay them very well. And they can pay them very well. Amazon can pay them very well because Amazon's only business is not just content. It's not just media. Their main business is e-commerce, and being in the media business only enhances their business, only supplements their business, and they have very deep pockets being one of the biggest companies in the world. Does this sound like a real possibility?
3: I feel like we've discussed this before, and you could use almost all the same arguments, but just swap out Amazon Prime for Apple TV Plus.
2: Yeah. The thing is, I don't think Apple TV is ever going to do – in the foreseeable future, Apple TV is not going to be associated with – Pro wrestling. I don't think that's, I don't think that they would see that as a good brand for them to be associated right.
3: with. Right. Well, but we've seen them pay a lot of money for sports rights yes. before.
2: Prestigious sports like MLS and MLB. I just,
3: I,
4: I think it just makes just a lot of sense for Amazon, a lot of sense to be interested in WWE. Like, I mean, it all, Amazon, I mean, I'm not looking at, you know, uh, what they're worth, but I mean, they're obviously they're probably the they're most like with Bezos being the richest person. world, I'm sure Amazon's probably like top five, like uh, capital uh, for a company. So I mean, they can outbid anyone. Really? So
2: okay. Um, finally, we will go to uh, my financial analysis of of WB. Um, I'm I'm gonna upgrade the, the stock price target. W stock, by the way, as of Friday, close of the, of the market is $74. So it has fallen after the earnings call, which often does. And I don't take it as especially meaningful. But based on my estimates of W going forward for the next year, year and a half or so, I think W uh, as a stock price is probably worth more like at least a year from now, worth more like $81. This will be subject to a lot of Volatility, perhaps, based on the results or any news we get around W's US TV rights deal, which may happen as soon as this coming spring. Um, updating my spreadsheet, I think W is going to make about one point three billion dollars. That's right. That's right here for people watching on YouTube. One billion. This is in, in fact. Oh, no, not, that's that's correct. One point two nine five million dollars. That's one point three billion dollars basically in revenue for the full year of 2022 uh net income about 206 million dollars in net income which is a form of profitability that would be a new record for wb uh, even if i believe you adjust for inflation that would be a new record um so i think this is probably along the lines of what analysts are are estimating so and i think this adjusted even the number i have here is within what they've stayed for guidance so if no more thoughts on that, we can go to the super chats. No, no ELO uh, topic you were going to bring can, up. We, uh, that's a good point, but we, we we can skip it for now. We're already an hour in.
4: <laughs> okay. All right. Yes, yeah, so we are going to go to the super chats here, and uh, let's see here. We will start. Got a lot of comments in the uh, the YouTube today, So thank you to the audience having great conversations uh, with us. Uh, between each other here. So, all right. So this was from W.O.D. Paul. Uh, it's a two part super chat. No country has had more human violations than the USA. How many children died to school shootings? And what does the Saudi there mean at the end? Um, I, I would say, this I think he's, I, I think he is Saudi. I saw the end. Like
3: this is okay. no, he's Indian. That's the, root. Indian. okay. B- based on the currency. He gave us like, a, he gave us like yeah. 50 cents.
2: I couldn't tell the currency, so. So I, I think everything we've said is not inconsistent. I'm not denying that others aren't also guilty of violating human rights. Um, and it's not the case that the events that happen for WWE or any other wrestling company are being sponsored by the United States government, which is the case in the case of the events that are happening in, in Saudi Arabia. Those are being sponsored by the Saudi government, paid for, well, it's not just sponsored, but being paid for outright by the Saudi government to the tune of three times what WWE makes on a typical one-day WrestleMania in terms of ticket sales.
4: Um, yeah. I mean, WWE is not going down to Texas and getting a, a WWE title belt to the governor.
2: Like, which is, I mean, and I think there's real questions around, like, where do you draw the line on your economic support? And I'm not stating that there is a clear answer to that, but then that may be different for every person. Do I want to go to a, a pay-per-view event that's happening in, in some state like Texas where there may be laws that are being established that, that you don't support, that you're strongly opposed uh, against? Do you want to go to, to that state and support the local economy by traveling there, by spending money there, and, and sort of encouraging that government and letting them take your sales tax and things like that? Uh, The the same sort of criticism can be applied to that as well.
3: We've seen real sports in the United States. We've seen sports pull out of events in certain states due to voting changes to during to certain law changes. The Major League Baseball moved their all star game from Atlanta, I think last year, 2021 to I want to say they moved it to San Diego um, for due to concerns passed by state laws in Georgia. I don't know if the the, NF, the NBA might have moved their All Star game out of Charlotte a few years ago due to uh, bathroom laws that were seen as restrictive on transgender individuals. I forget if they actually ended up moving it or they used it as a point to, to, to as a pressure point. But that definitely was discussed. I mean, pretty much all governments have some skeletons in the closet. I think we're where no one is disputing that. But there's obviously a clear difference between these WWE shows in Saudi Arabia and pretty much any other type of sporting event that I watch. Um, and to claim that it's just the same is, is willful ignorance.
2: But you can say the same thing about the World Cup. Should we uh, not be criticizing? I mean, this is not
3: a soccer. It's show. true, and you know what? <sighs> Nobody is criticizing the World Cup. No, that's that. There's no criticism for it anywhere. I just I type in Qatar 2022, and it's nothing but praise. There's definitely no criticism going on.
4: Yeah. All right. All right, we will move on here to Primo. Uh, he asks, is the Ring of Honor stuff being a detriment to AEW TV?
2: I think there's probably an argument that it's watering down the brand, but what do you think?
3: I have heard from many people that they don't care about this Ring of Honor stuff. And I find it kind of interesting because to me as, as a hardcore fan, not only do I like Ring of Honor as a brand, and it's cool that it's around, but I also can see like this is just a, a, a mechanism for a Chris Jericho feud. Which would, be hap- which would be happening on AEW regardless if Ring of Honor was ever purchased by Tony Khan or not. Um, that being said, it's clear that to some fans that that's becoming a very, um, that it has become kind of something uh, that they don't like. I think to some fans, Ring of Honor has a, has a lesser brand I, uh, identity than AEW. I think that's kind of indisputable. And some fans just see like, oh, it's AEW taking this former minor league company and putting its titles on the AEW show. And it feels like it makes everything less important. I, as a viewer, don't really see that, but I've heard many people say that. So I think it has to be considered as a potential reason for maybe why AEW's viewership might be slightly down, while fan enthusiasm might be a little bit less than it was previously. I don't think it's like a major, major issue, but I definitely think you could make the case that... It is a detriment to AEW right now. Maybe in the long run, it pays off when they launch Ring of Honor and it becomes a successful third brand and it had all this time to establish itself on Dynamite and Rampage and the AEW pay-per-view before it really takes off on its own. But for now, I think you could easily make the argument that it's not helping the company.
2: I, I would add, when I say watering it down, I mean in terms of titles. Well, I acknowledge that maybe things like having Chris Jericho used the Ring of Honor title as... As, as, as a prop uh, to get heat is, is interesting. But it, it contributes to more than just the Ring of Honor title being present on AEW television, or at least that's that's Tony Khan's choice, is that there's a lot of other Ring of Honor titles that are appearing on, on, on television alongside a lot of other titles that appear on, on AEW television. And it injects a lot of talent into Ring of Honor, or into Ring of Honor, into AEW, when there's already a lot of talent in AEW that's often not on TV and not being used. And I mean, you know, I've
4: said it before that I think part of the rampage, you know, non appeal is is that it, until recently, since Jericho got the title, but before it's a very Ring of Honor heavy show. It, it's not what it didn't even feel like an in,
3: AEW show. And in, to you, that states like uh, a show of lesser importance than the premium AEW brand. It's just like it's not a it's
4: not a a one B to dynamite. It doesn't feel in, like it,
3: even if they're using the same talent. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's totally legitimate. Um, And I think it, it is reflective of how a lot of fans feel. I think, I also think like, sometimes I get like, in my mind, I get, I'll be like annoyed with some arguments. Like there are too many titles because I'll say, well, like every super successful wrestling promotion has had a million titles. There's a million titles in New Japan during its peak. There are a million titles in WCW and WWF during the Attitude Era. So why is it a problem now that there's a million titles? Is that a real talking point? But at the end of the day, if so many people are saying it, and to maybe like the casual Sh- fan, show West- High
2: Baba only had the triple crown, the double world tag titles, he did have the all Asia tag titles. There were and two the tag Jedi titles
3: title. on that show, but
2: this one has four,
3: <laughs> yeah. But so I have, um, so it's so sometimes it's easy for me to like kind of be like fall into my hole and be like, oh, come on, you guys are all just being stupid. Um, this is another bad faith accusation lobbied at AEW. But at the end of the day, if a lot of people are saying it, and it, is, it becomes a concern for your brand if that is the message that's being sent out there, that they have too many titles. Um, even if we can dispute whether or not that is truly a good or bad thing. If it's me- if the messaging is out there that it is a problem with the the product, that is something that maybe does have to be addressed if you want to grow your fan base. All right, we
4: are getting a flurry of super chats on this topic. This is a good topic here, uh, MJ. Uh, if Ring of Honor was meant to be AEW, it would have been. Now making AEW more Ring of Honor is killing the premium that AEW had over it when it launched. Waters down the brand,
2: and, and then I don't, yeah. I don't agree. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that's that's, that's yeah. similar to what we said is that it's yeah taking a brand that has less value than AEW in pushing it hard on AEW
2: television. I mean, I, I understand Tony's want, willingness and desire to, to acquire it because the one thing that AEW didn't have before acquiring Ring of Honor is a large video library, and Ring of Honor somewhat addresses that issue. Um, but it it's, I don't want to call it like a vanity project necessarily, although maybe you could, but it, it seems like something that Tony is very invested in but his audience is not nearly as invested in.
4: Now, I know that, that Bushiro doesn't own Noah, but shouldn't the New japan Noah relationship be like the model that Tony goes for with the AEW Ring of Honor thing? There's a little bit of interbrand, but it's not a big deal. It's but then not somebody else would have
3: to operate Ring of Honor.
4: Yeah, that yes. is true.
3: And and I think a lot of the way we discuss it, a lot of it has been like this is a stop... Now, I don't know if this will eventually be true or not, but a lot of people view this as like a stopgap measure for ring of honor not having regular television that eventually and it's been hinted at but we still have no idea when it's actually coming ring of honor does get some sort of television deal we will see less of the ring of honor stuff on AEW and more of it on its independent show but because there is no ring of honor show they do a lot of the ring of honor stuff i think to me when it's again to me as a fan when it's the same wrestlers who would rather like like chris jericho like, it doesn't matter to me that he has the Ring of Honor title and not the AEW title. It's like he's doing a storyline based on that. And in a lot of ways, s- title belts, in most cases, are booking crutches. And they are giving some purpose to people. I think, obviously, it's given the whole idea of Chris Jericho having the Ring of Honor title is a whole story specific to the Ring of Honor title. But even something like, you know, FTR has the Ring of Honor titles as part of their kind of tag team title. Uh, ownership of all these different tag titles. That's part of their story. I think Samoa Joe having the Ring of Honor television title is like helps keep Samoa Joe at least somewhat relevant instead of just sitting around doing nothing. Um, so I think in certain instances, it does have value in that in that sense. Uh,
4: speaking of titles, Justin Robbins says, the titles are getting devalued. Ring of Honor title feels like it, it has va- the value of TNT now, and the TNT is the value of the FTW title. It's just there for some reason. So TNT he, title
2: is not yes. a mid card title, I was told. Or not I was told, but Tony Khan has has said it publicly. But like yeah, I think um and,
3: I mean sure, when there was only two titles, the TNT title felt more important. Now the TNT title is also on Cody, who was a big, big, big star during yeah. that kind of the original run with it. So um but I do think that uh that, that 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 does play an impact on it. I also think like you could do a better job of booking the TNT title if With with while also having the Ring of Honor stuff on television, I think there's a there's a way you could have both. I don't think they're directly linked necessarily.
2: Yeah, I I, my I will say this, and it's probably greatly influenced by my own preference for the way that I think that I would enjoy wrestling more. Is that there seems to be almost an inevitable force that is that pulls wrestling bookers, especially the United States, to have this maximalist approach with more talent and more matches, and more titles. I, I've seen this up and down the various tiers of wrestling, everything from WWE down to the, the smallest indie, where every, it just it results in everything being more. And I don't know if it's just to appease all of the people who you want to maintain good relationships with, or what. But I, I think a company is would better serve itself in general to have less titles, for one thing, and you have to have some things that are not an angle. There's too many angles, I think, in wrestling in general. Everything is an angle. When everything is an angle, nothing is an angle. When everyone has a title, no one has a title. When everybody's supposed to be a star, nobody's a star. And I think there's, there's – I would prefer to see a more minimalist approach in my wrestling, much like Shohai Baba accomplished for at least nine years or so in the 90s. It continues on this topic. Uh, MJ has another super
4: chat. It's – aw uh, wants to be an open league of other brands that's a business model but the pivot and create and create structure around it so basically at a showcase of all these promotions you know um he also comments here as we'll keep this going why wouldn't aw sell it every time to smaller brands to get access to new talent license out the open architecture of the show monetize your position
2: so He's, so what so, so what MJ from MJ is, is suggesting, let me, let me just take this to an yeah. extreme end, yeah. uh, is that AEW sell some of its TV time on TNT or TBS to its its friends at Game Changer Wrestling, <laughs> which for one thing, the people at AEW would never do that. For another thing, I think the networks would be very unhappy if they were broadcasting a product that is not the AEW product. I, I would, I would think that may even be in violation of their, their agreement, yeah. uh, to broadcast AEW content. You're giving me something that's not AEW content.
4: MJ comments on that too. He says, yeah, WWE don't want that. They want AEW, like me.
2: I don't know if he's – maybe he's raising a hypothetical about why Bring of Honor is not a great idea or something.
3: Yeah, I mean, well, in general, AEW does utilize a lot of different wrestling promotions and their talents. We've seen talent from um, probably most prominently New Japan Pro Wrestling, but also from Tokyo Joshi Pro, We've seen talent from DDT like uh, Kanōskai Takeshita. We've seen talent from AAA. We've seen uh, I'm trying to think of other. If we're trying to think of the other promotions we've seen. Different people from from Europe, obviously, um, and different U.S. promotions. Like we have seen Nick Gage on on television.
2: In, um, in the um in the interview with Sports Illustrated, he refers. Tony Khan says that he's fine with Shinsuke Nakamura appearing on a Noah show despite AEW's relationship with Noah. And I'm, I struggle to think about what... AEW has a relationship with Noah.
0: They don't have a relationship.
3: More, it's letting they, I, Sting work that show. Right. Yeah. Sting is, is working that show. They also have a relationship we know with um, Abima, who owns Noah, which is, you know, the DDT they, Noah closer to DDT. Tokyo Joshi Pro conglomerate. And AEW obviously uses um, not a ton of talent from DDT, but obviously Takeshi is a DDT guy. But they've used plenty of Tokyo Joshi Pro talent over the years.
2: Mm-hmm. Anything else, Cole?
3: Um, well, yes.
4: Yeah, so We will move up here. Uh, we got uh, at least one super chat earlier. Uh, let's see here. Let's go with yeah. Let's go with uh Primos back here. Uh, WBD stock tanked to a record low on Friday after failing to meet Wall Street expectations in Q3. If the trend continues, do they get bought in
2: 2024, 2025? I would guess that the lower, the, yeah, the lower the stock prices, the more easy it is to acquire the less expensive it would be to acquire
3: um they also got in the process of paying off a lot of debt each quarter correct
4: yes they cancel westworld too so and then that's uh, that's
2: causing a ruckus on the internet so but here's the wbd stock which is i mean this is a stock that sort of has a a new history after the merger so this is not going back very far but this is going back to to april which is when i guess the merger as as far as the stock is concerned officially went into effect and it started off at $25 a share. Now it's closed the business on Friday, 10 dollars 5 a share. So it has fallen by more than I maybe mean, whatever, 59%. Yeah.
4: Um, and then uh, this is our last super chat here as of right now. Uh, uh, Delmarabdi asks Dynamite's viewership has been the same, mostly 1,900,000 all year, but the 18 to 49 has slipped out, <laughs> out of the 0.34 to 0.43 range. Curious if the 18 to 49 are pushing over 50. And we've kind of – we've had a similar question this last few weeks about the increase of the 50-plus demographic here. I,
2: lo- I love this very specific analysis of of, of demos. Um, and I, I will try to bring up some stats that are relevant to that. Do you guys have any thoughts about that as I do that?
3: Not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, I I'm mean, I feel through. like we've we've. I, th- I don't even know if Dalmar is the same person, but we've we've talked about this before about yeah. the the audience shifting a little bit um, and hitting. I think like the key benchmarks and how does that fit in with um, whether it's how how bad how bad is this decline for AEW really? Is it in line with regular television? Is it doing better than regular television? Are there specific reasons that could be easily rectified, like the return of some major stars? Um,
2: okay, so here 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 are what we might call the showbuzz demos. And we have for, I mean, the, this, I believe the 18th is, is the Tuesday Night War, so that's why this one is low. So we will highlight that one. But we have, we are in the 0.40s and so forth in terms of P50+. plus. Um, this is going back to August. I could zoom out further and, and make this a little bit bigger. It is pretty consistent. Um, what what is this question? We're curious if M eighteen forty nine is pushing over fifty. I mean, I, I, I guess part of what he's getting at is there. Yes, is as, as eventually people get older and people who are forty nine eventually turn fifty and are no, no longer counted in that demo. Um, that that will happen at, at at no greater degree than people age. Uh, but I, I don't I don't.
3: When the people who became fans during the Attitude Era, or during, during people who were children during the Hulkamania Era, or people who were teenagers during the Attitude Era, when they become uh, I age out of the demo wrestling demo is gonna uh, have a hard time
2: I guess what so, he's saying yeah. is that the total viewership has been been more stable than the demo is that true
4: yeah but it wasn't like a bunch of 47 year olds started watching three years ago and now they're 50 like I think it's I think it's just maybe
2: I mean the interchange so, of interest so I mean we have here we have averages <laughs> and Is this average or is it actually median let's make sure Okay, this is median. So think of this as a, as a typical a typical episode during these months. And total viewership throughout the year has been either just over a million, but mostly with a few exceptions, and this is excluding preemptions, has been in the 900,000s range. Meanwhile, the the demo has been mostly in the 400s range. Um and this is what is this this is year over year changes. So if you look at this row here, we're seeing as soon as we get into April, which is no longer the ones that night War benefit, we're seeing mid single digits of percentage difference, some double digits of percentage difference, negative. But we are seeing greater differences in eighteen forty nine, especially starting in July, is I guess that that would be consistent with an increase in the median age which this chart shows and that is the case that the dynamite audience is while still the youngest out of all these wrestling shows that we're looking at here including raw smackdown nxt rampage impact new japan uh women of wrestling does not appear yet because it doesn't have a 13 week moving average but it is younger than that one too it is still the youngest audience in wrestling uh but it is getting older especially since the summer so it's really trending upward um it could be the case that younger people are just watching it less, and older people are, are watching it more. The demo's still doing well enough to be ranked in the top five or so. Okay. Anything else? Uh,
4: I think that's it here. Just gonna click off that, and we'll be good to go. Yeah. I think we are all caught up on Super Chats. Thank you all for the Super Chats. That was a lot. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm. Um. Who's, who's, who's driving a motorcycle
3: outside? That's my house. Okay. Um, I have my windows open because it's such a nice such a nice day. I don't know what it's well, like where you guys are, but
2: yeah, it's just pretty. It's been pretty nice in Buffalo, despite it's being it's like seventy uh, today. Yeah. We'll briefly do yellow. Does anyone know what yellow is? Are we talking about like the yellow rating
3: system? Electric, or are we talking about electric light, light orchestra? orchestra?
2: Strange magic telephone line
3: some living great. thing uh, it's just a living thing yeah Some great, evil great woman music. more of a yeah. rocker more of a rockery okay
2: okay uh do you, you guys do know what the elO rating system is though what is it
3: it's used in chess right yes I don't I don't fully understand it like um but my understanding of the elo rating is it's basically based on like a hypothetical strength on matchups correct
2: if you've ever played Yahoo chess maybe maybe almost any kind of like online chess they give you an ELO rating um, so I have this is something that, that Chris Harrington has done in the past uh, the, the former purveyor of Wrestleomics who is now working for AEW no longer involved in Wrestleomics and Wrestleomics is an independently run organization by me but um, I've calculated the ELO ratings for WE within men, W within women at, across the board, goes beyond too, AEW, New Japan Impact. So, so who would you think is the number one man in e- in WB for for Elo? Based on
3: their win and loss record, right? This is what we're talking yeah. about.
2: Yes, it's it's affected by wins and losses. So, if if you beat somebody who has a really good rating, your rating gains more than if you beat
3: somebody who has a low rating. Does does volume of of does volume matter at all? Volume. What do you mean? Like how many I, matches you've had?
2: Everybody starts out with – I think it's a 1,500 is how it is typically calculated right. and is how I calculated it here. So what I'm calculating – I've gone back and taken – I went back to 1984, which is like overkill because nobody was wrestling today mm-hmm. who was wrestling in 1984. But just to be sure, just in case Hulk
3: Hogan comes back or something, we're ready to go. Well, Roman Reigns hasn't lost any matches, so I would assume him. But if we're talking about if he hasn't wrestled that many matches, someone has gained the upper hand on him. And I'm recounting house shows. No, um, no. I should have – good questions. No how shows,
2: televised matches only. Actually, my methodology is here.
3: So someone um, who's won the most matches in – I'm sorry, what is the time frame? I should, all time.
2: Um, only oh, televised what's... matches are considered. So anything on TV – Pay per view, ple streaming, even YouTube, but no house shows. Uh, within that requirement, requirement only one on one matches are considered. Tag matches are not considered. Singles matches that are not one on one matches, for example, three ways, four ways, are not considered. Maybe I'll adjust that later. But wrestlers whose most recent match in a given promotion was uh, in a given promotion that was more than ninety days ago are dropped off of the ratings. This is intended to exclude the rankings of wrestlers who are inactive in the given promotion. Uh, matches resulting in double dq double count out no contest are just not considered thrown away all of a wrestler's entire history in the given promotion determines their elo rating all wrestlers begin with a 1500 rating uh dq and count out wins and losses count at half the weight of typical wins and losses so randy orton with injury wouldn't be a Qualify for those done. If Randy Orton has not had a match in ninety days in WWE, yeah. he is not on this list. I don't think so. I don't know, man. Almost Veer. <laughs> Veer is number six. Okay. Almost is not on the list. Why would almost be on the list? This is how the math worked out. I don't know. R- maybe, maybe, he, maybe he dropped off since he got squashed by Roman by uh, by Braun Strowman last night. Who? Riddle. Riddle's not on the list. Oh,
3: well. Riddle's Riddle Riddle takes eats a lot of pins. Yeah. Um, so, so Roman never loses, but he hasn't probably wrestled a ton of matches. So I'm still confused on whether or not volume accounts for this or not. Um,
2: His history is, is considered here.
3: So yeah, right. But um, yeah. if Veer is six, that means you can be pretty high just doing a bunch of jobs to beating right. nobody Veer is.
2: has had 27 matches, and he
3: is number six. Um, Can we get a hint? Can, um, I, can, can I ask a question? Yes, I guess. Has this person been wrestling in WWE for more than five years? Yes. Okay.
2: This person oh. has 211 televised matches that are under consideration here. This person has 173 wins to 38 losses. That's an 82% winning percentage. His last match are, was last night. Okay, and these are one-on-one, right? Yeah. Yeah. last match was last night. I'm going to look at the card now. G. Bob- Bobby Lashley? Bobby Lashley is number seven. That was a good guess, Gallo.
3: I'm kind of lost on this. Um, It's it's Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is number four. It's the big LG, Luke Gallows. Gallows. That guy never does jobs. Come on. on. (laughs) Uh, Santan Biker Man? (laughs) Number three
2: is Ilya Dragunov. Number two is Gunther. Oh, Drew McIntyre. Drew mcintyre is not on the list oh
3: yeah because number was one
2: still... I, I feel like you've 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 determined that i've denied who, who actually is the number one already the so number one is respect your tribal chief. yes okay roman
3: i wouldn't I, I, th- I wasn't gonna guess roman because it felt yes. like
2: it was already guessed yes um so so it, it's the number one roman raids uh who has an over 1800 rating um for, for i guess a will for the sake of not prolonging this much longer I will just show you the rest of them. Number 1 for women in WWE is Bianca Belair, followed by Miko Satomura, followed by Ronda Rousey. I mean the list goes on. People who are watching on YouTube can see this. Um for men in AEW, Jon Moxley is number 1. I feel like I got pretty intuitive results here. Number 2 is Wardlow. Number 3 is CM Punk. He is still on the list he will he will drop off in like a month. Uh Hangman Adam Page is number four. Lance Archer. If you look at the, uh, the Eliminator Tournament, I, I, I was sort of getting ready to like criticize the Eliminator Tournament. The Eliminator Tournament does have quite a few people who are um, in the top ten here. Um, Orange Cassie is up to number ten since his his victory over Katsuyori Shibata, I guess. Jade Cargill is number one among AEW women because she's never lost, right? Uh, Hikaru Shida, Britt Baker, Nyla Rose. Abaddon, number five. People be, be pleased to hear that. Uh, New Japan Men. I think this makes sense, right? Because what's the Wrestle Kingdom main main event? Okada
3: versus Jay White,
2: and that's number one and number two. Will Osprey after that? Takagi, Tom Lawler. Um, this includes New Japan USA stuff. Um, Impact number one is Josh Alexander. That makes sense, right? Uh, in, for women, it's Jordan Grace. In Impact for stardom. I know Gold is a big stardom fan. He's been been following closely. Siuri is number one, followed by Mayu uh Iwatani. So I've been tracking this. This is this might become part of the wrestlingaux.com <laughs> website. It is it is in fact there is a URL where you can find this, but I've not advertised it publicly because I'm still working on it. So, that was yellow.
4: Um, Anything to plug? Well we did get one more or less super chat. Uh Del, Delmer obd did, did you talk about Stephanie saying M and A on the call?
3: So what does M and A stand for? Mergers and acquisitions. Oh yes.
2: Very good. So I think what she was referring to is the potential for WWE to acquire other smaller companies, although it does lead one to imagine WWE being acquired and and her saying that, oh, my God, we're open to being sold. Um, I don't think that's what she meant, though. It could be, but it was very ambiguous and vague and not clear. In any case. I don't have any great answers though for what she was referring to. If she was referring to W acquiring smaller companies, as so I talked with, with with Pollock on on Thursday, was she talking about what she said that the statement was? We're looking at acquiring companies that align with our core competencies. Align with our core competencies was the verbiage. What does that mean? What does this management team perceive to be their core competencies? I have no idea. Um, the, in, in Vince's world, I'm I I. I would imagine that could mean thing, things like movies and, and other aspects of broader entertainment. But I don't know what, what that means to, to Nick and Stephanie. Um,
3: does that the WWE amusement won? park, it's coming back. Perhaps. Does,
2: does that mean acquiring other wrestling companies? That's where the, the wrestling mind would go. But I don't, I don't know that it means that. Um, but you could write some good clickbait headlines if you wanted to, and, and if they were going to acquire another wrestling company, I don't even know what the candidates would be. GCW,
3: that's what it is. It's GCW they're going to acquire, right? Well, yeah, Stephanie, if Stephanie said it, that's almost certainly true. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. There you go. She's been uh, she's been taking photos and hanging out with uh, with with Brett Lauderdale of GCW. So no, I have no idea. Um, but I don't see it as dramatically meaningful in the business story of WWE at this point. Um, okay. Anything plug um i will i guess is, is this coming weekend no that's next week but I, I, I once again as people know i will be at the uh, the post wrestling live show uh on november 19th in new york new jersey if you want to say hi to me there um russellomics.com, not russellomics.com but patreon.com slash russellomics you can sign up for just five dollars a month it's, it's less than eight dollars a month if you don't want to sign up for uh for twitter blue for eight dollars a month no this is way less than that five dollars a month is the Patreon uh, fee, where you get TV ratings, reports, quarter hours, when they're available. All the data that we looked at a moment ago for the wrestling viewership spreadsheet, as well as plenty else. We will be back on Thursday for subscribers only with the Thursday 30. Gulliver and I will talk about perhaps the latest Dynamite rating and whatever else is happening in the wrestling news. Uh, but any any other plugs? Um,
4: I'm not sure if I'll be on a Sunday show in the next couple weeks because of the Bills' home schedule. So. Oh I got an awesome Thanksgiving uh, week of shows. Uh, check out uh, I'll Be at Revenge Pro on Wednesday for Thanksgiving. Uh, Is Wardlow going to make a, re- a surprise ready? appearance? Again. Probably probably not because it's on Wednesday. <laughs> so and I would imagine
2: he'll be a Dynamite. Well, uh,
4: maybe, so
2: yeah. maybe he's not booked. There's a lot of people who are not booked for Dynamite. Yeah. Anyway.
4: So, yeah, big Thanksgiving week of shows. But uh, I actually did Excite Wrestling last night. It's on Twitch. I recommend it. Uh, Alec Price vs. Cloudy. And uh, Kevin Bennett versus Davey Richards were both amazing matches. So, what was it? Did we get a howl?
2: Um, I, don't
4: think that, I don't think he howled.
2: Okay. Uh, I, I I understand uh, Jesse. There's 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 some holy demon okay. army disrespect that you've written.
3: Yes. Uh, I um. So for voiceyourwrestling.com, I wrote an article that was the case against voting for the Holy Demon Army for the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall oh, of Holy Fame. Holy Demon
2: Army? Isn't
3: that? It is Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe.
2: The greatest tag team of all time?
3: Sure. The greatest tag team of all time. Um, so people can read that. It's it's not because I think they suck um, is, is what I put on. But you can find that on voiceofwrestling.com is kind of the argument against voting for them this year.
2: Uh, anything anything else to plug while we're out of
3: here? I'm a gentleman's wrestling podcast, which you can find right here on YouTube. Um, haven't had a new episode this week, but if you want to read more hall of fame thoughts, uh, listen to more hall of fame thoughts at an excellent podcast with Adam, uh, Berger. Um, we talked a lot about, uh, the different candidates. We talked about our most intriguing candidates, uh, for this year's wrestling observer newsletter hall of fame. We talked Goldberg. We talked the Von Ericks. We talked the outsiders. We talked Tomohiro Ishii. We talked to Naito. Um, good discussion. It's like two and a half hours long. So if you want to check that out, they can.
2: Okay. That's it for Russell on radio this week. Thanks for listening, supporting subscribing. Thanks for your super chats. And we'll talk to you on Thursday for subscribers. And if not then, then next week, Sunday.